Happy Wednesday, Dan and Adam. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing great. I'm excited for this week's weather. It's going to get in the 70s. I'm it's excited for today. I'm excited for today's show. I mean, where where this is why we started this podcast to really talk about local politics. We're we're at the 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 you know the last uh, eighth of mile here in the race, and we got some great candidates on to talk about uh, their platform and why they're running. So, Dan, I get you. The weather's going to be awesome, but the show is going to be awesome. Er, wow. I, I'm going to agree with both of you. Nice weather, but I'm also pumped about this podcast because, as Adam just said, we have less than two weeks till election day, and we have some city council races and some county board of supervisor races and are lucky enough to have some of the candidates joining us today in those races. And I'm really looking forward to talking to them and just informing the public a little bit more about who's running and why they're running. And and like you said, like the whole purpose of this show, you know, inform people about what's going on and who's in the race and hopefully help people make an informed choice come November 7th. And, and before we bring on our first guest, we've been talking, we are going to be live election night, right? The three of us and maybe me and yeah. the old person uh, reporting results as they come in. We will go continuously from roughly uh, nine o'clock on or uh, we'll, we'll hone it in as it gets closer. But we are going to be uh, going election eve. So really, it's so frustrating finding Saratoga election results online when you're home in your living room and you got to go to six different TV stations and, and you get a, a smidgen here and a smidgen there. We're, we're going to do our best to be comprehensive and focus uh, only on Saratoga. Yes. Smidgen all over the place. We are going to be roving. We will be at the Democratic uh, headquarters. I think they're going to be at NBC Suites. Um, I know that the one Saratoga folks are going to be at the Inn at Saratoga. I think the Republicans may be at the Holiday Inn. We'll see. But we will be roving and bringing you guys numbers and results as they come in. And Dan, I totally agree. Like trying to find election results like at home on election night is like you're like constantly refreshing like the Times Union site and it's like kind of agony. So yes, hopefully it'll be a fun way to um, cover the night and get results a little bit faster for people. Good. Good. I'm excited. That I'm really excited for. Not that I wasn't excited for today. I know. I know. I mean, I had a I had a blast doing it for the school board race. And this is like the Super Bowl compared to that. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, let's get right to it because we do have a lot of guests today. And our first guest is Commissioner of Public Safety, Jim Nino. Welcome, Commissioner. Hi, nice to see you all. Nice to see you as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. So we, we always start off these kind of interviews with candidates by asking a pretty simple question which is what motivated you to run in this case for a re-election to be our public safety commissioner for another two years? Well, I want to see some of the projects that have gotten underway brought to fruition. Uh, as you know, the third fire station is physically completed, uh, but for a few finishing touches. Uh, we have yet to get our certificate of occupancy. We have yet to get apparatus in there and IT set up and furniture in. So I'd love to see that where the station is operating and it's staffed and uh, it's offline and doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, that's, that's one of the main things. Uh, the CRB, as you know, I drafted the ordinance that created the CRB. I'm pleased to say that they have no cases. <laughs> they're, they're operating and there are no complaints that have been filed that they're investigating. And that's a good thing, uh, but I would like to be able to see the process actually work its way through with you know, from start to finish. Uh, so far, there have been nothing. There's been nothing run through the pipeline. I'd like to see that. 
I, I think it was, uh, I was looking at the live meeting list and I saw that the civilian review board met recently and I was shocked when I saw it was only a, like a five minute long meeting. I, I don't think I've ever seen any meeting of that length in city hall. So, but in this case, it was uh, such a good thing because as you said, no complaints. Mm -hmm. um, so the third fire station and the CRB are certainly projects. I can see why you would want to see those through. Is there any anything else in particular that you've been working on that you're hoping to? Well, one of the big things also, uh, it's 20 years in the making, uh, back when the charter was revised effective January 1st of 2004, a priority was accreditation of the police department. And we've passed the final analysis, the, the final inspection by the committee that was sent over to uh, the team rather that was sent over to do that inspection. Uh, they report to DCJS in December and all the indications are we have no deficiencies. Uh, the few items that they that they picked up on when they did their inspection were corrected on the spot. And I'd really love to see the the accreditation occur. We're already talking about ordering the new uh, uh, shoulder uh, uh, emblems for the officers that indicate it's an accredited agency. That's terrific. That is terrific. Um, I have to ask, since you brought up the third fire station, you're going through the budget season right now, and it seems there's some challenges in terms of the staffing and the budget for staffing. Are you worried about how you're gonna cover those costs or do you feel confident that it's going to be able to be worked out in this um, current budget process? Well, I, I am worried. Uh, yeah. The comprehensive budget, as, as you know full well uh, as a former commissioner, becomes the city's budget unless the city council agrees on an amended budget. The comprehensive budget, I'll put it plain and simple, it doesn't fund the third station. Yeah. We had our most recent meeting only a few days ago, and Chief Dyer was clear, we're almost $2 million short of what we need for next year to actually run three stations and for the let me ask you real quick uh and just so our viewers are clear for the comprehensive budget to if, if does that need to be or for the budget to pass does it need to be voted on by a majority or does it need all five council members to pass a budget uh so, just a majority so just the majority but if the majority can't agree then this comprehensive budget becomes a budget that now you're saying will not staff our fire department or, or, or pardon me our third station exactly that's correct if, if, if I could jump in on the third station, because I live on the Eastern Plateau, so it's an important to me and maybe a tough question, but it's a very fair one. What, when will it open? It looks like November. The, the holdup is, uh, the major holdup is the, obviously the, the certificate of occupancy. And we had some last minute glitches on really crazy things. Uh, believe it or not, we were lacking seismic clips on the drop ceilings, uh, which was apparently a requirement that people didn't know was a requirement. It's been taken care of. Uh, that was one of the minor things standing in the way of uh, the C of O. Uh, a couple of things left. The, the duct for the kitchen exhaust goes through where some lights are installed. Somebody goofed when they did the lighting installation. So it's it's that little kind of annoying uh, things, but there's you know a half a dozen or more of those annoying little things that stand in the way of the actual opening of the of, of the plant. 
But the Achilles heel here, which is kind of what I was asking about, which it seems that you're also concerned about, is that you can open it. But I think Chief Dyer said from January to July, it would be $1.1 in overtime to staff it. So if we open it, but there's no but there's no money in the budget to staff it, you know, we're just going to have an empty building. So does it, do you feel, are you getting the sense that the council is willing to work with you on getting that money in, in the line item for staffing so that we can actually operate it? I, I think so. I, I really do. I know when I compare what happened last year, for example, last year's comprehensive budget uh, was very light with public safety. And by the time we went through the process and got to the end of November, we had a robust budget that actually allowed for potentially hiring 10 more police officers. We weren't able to get 10. We, we were only able to get seven. And then of those seven, four of them were disqualified by the psychologist at the psych eval. So we only ended up with three. But you know, we've, we've got a few more that have been given conditional offers. So the 2023 budget ended up to be a satisfying one. It, it actually met the city's needs. So I think that with some pushing and pulling, we'll, we'll be able to get to an acceptable budget. The real problem is that uh, there, there's no long-term plan for paying the additional operating expenses that accrue to having three stations instead of two. It's, it's basically a 50% increase in the size of the fire department when you go from two to three. And well, that's millions of dollars. In fairness, from three-person engines to four-person engines is a big part of this equation um, because of the extra staff and the extra firefighters that are needed. Um, is That would be a true statement, correct? Yeah, but we've been running four-member engines now for the better part of this year. Uh, right. Yeah. One of the concerns I have uh, is if we don't, maintain the NFPA and the OSHA standard of four member engines. We know from a, an exhaustive federal study, there was a study done where they did 60 test fires and they spent millions on this study and they determined that going to three members as opposed to four increases the time to task by 25%. So if we spend nine million dollars building a third fire station to cut response time, but cut back on staffing so we lose 25% time to pass, we've actually got a net zero in terms well, of benefit to the city. Well, okay. And I, I think that everyone is in agreement that four-person engines are ideal and everyone wants to have the safest, safest and fastest response for our firefighters as possible. But in fairness... <laughs> they were running with three person engines. And so it would be a very temporary cutback because it's, you've only been running with four person engines for you know a short time. But I, again, my concern is just not that it's not something that we want to have happen, but you know, $1.1 million for a six month period. And then also I think a significant amount of firefighters would also need to be hired. Um, at least that's was my understanding. That was my takeaway from watching these budget workshops. And, um, you know, I, I'm hearing Commissioner Songvi say that there's going to be no new hires uh, for 2024. It's just concerning, but I'm glad to hear that you feel optimistic about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things we got to remember is we've got 14 firefighters in training right now, so you know, they'll be coming online once the training is done. But for the moment, 
while they're on the payroll, they're unable to report for service. Right. Commissioner, let me let me switch gears a, a little bit. When, when you when you ran, um, you uh, initially in, in office, you uh, kind of took a law and order stance. You did a very exhaustive study on the Daryl Mount case uh, that that I would say exonerated our police department. Um, you were pivotal in in, in uh, some charges being filed about uh, the BLM protesters who were disrupting our uh, city council meetings. And you paid a price. You've angered and alienated yourself from some of the other council members. Uh, would you, my question is, would you have done anything differently? And are you getting, how is, how, are you getting support for what you did or do you, are you getting pushback from the community? Well, I'm, I'm getting a lot of support from the community. I mean, the people that I speak to, uh, the voters I'm talking to, uh, support the, the way I've handled things here. And if you've noticed, there was kind of a watershed event when the judge presiding over the case against uh, Alexis Figueroa denied his motion to dismiss the accusatory instrument. That was a sea change. That's the first time that a court has upheld charges against protesters who've gone too far. This is the case, if you remember, where Lex took the microphone away from Chris Matheson during a city council meeting. And you know, that was charged as an obstruction of governmental administration. If you've noticed, while the council meetings still have some, some foul language getting tossed out by uh, BLM supporters, they haven't shut down any meetings, they haven't stood on chairs, they haven't gone into the screaming tirades and stamping the floor. Uh, because I think now the message is out that, yes, there is a limit beyond which you can't go without having to answer to it in court. So I think in the long game, uh, the approach that we took was the right one. We didn't arrest anybody. We used summonses instead of uh, arrest warrants. And people were required to answer for their conduct. Uh, one person uh, who was charged ended up found not competent to stand trial under uh, CPL 730, and she was civilly committed as a result and is receiving the treatment that she needs. That's one of the protesters who grabbed the microphone from my table. She went right past the rope line and, uh, and, and grabbed the microphone. So uh, it, it's taken some time, but the end result is there, there has been some order restored to the council meetings. Uh, oh, follow up on that. Um, you were the complainant on one of the charges, and I know it's it's a you know a, a legally possible function for a civilian to be a complainant. Uh, it was unusual, though. Um, do you would you do it that way again, or would you let uh, one of the police officers be a complainant on that uh, case? Because it, it was it was it sort of created some of the toxicity, and I'm not assigning blame here, but there's a lot of toxicity from you and, and the other four council members, and that seemed to be one of the driving factors. Yeah, well, that's a great question, Dan, and, and here's the point. There was a obstructing governmental administration charge from the previous administration where the accusatory instrument was signed by a police officer and the court dismissed that, saying that the officer was viewing the live stream and so wasn't really an eyewitness. And one of the main reasons that I chose to sign the accusatory was to avoid that pitfall to say, no, I was an eyewitness to this. 
and physically present there in the room and therefore make this a triable accusatory with non-hearsay allegations. Which you could have done it as a supporting deposition, still have a complaint of police officer because it was a crime upon information and belief. That still would be a, you know, a, a charge that would stand, I would believe. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because the second set of charges, uh, the one that's currently pending against Mr. Figueroa, that's exactly the way it went. I signed the supporting deposition and not the accusatory itself. Adam, can you tell we have two attorneys talking to each other? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's been, um, um, again, I, I won't assign blame here. It, it's been toxic. What, what would you say to someone that said, Mr. Montanino, you know, you're, you're a nice guy. I like you. But if you go back there, it's just going to, you know, January will be continuation of the toxicity. I, I, I'm better off voting for Kristen Dart or, or Tim Cole. What, what 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 do you say to somebody like that? And I'm not attacking you there. I hope it doesn't come off that way. But it's I think it's a valid question. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's a valid question. And I think what you see with the city council, the way it's currently constituted, we have four members who are hard left. And I consider myself center, center right. And the real problem is there's no balance on the council. So uh, it's, it's all or nothing at all with, with four hard to one side. And I'm sort of hoping that the end result of the election will be a little bit more balanced in the way that the council is constituted. You know, I have to say, it, to, to me as a member of the public, it actually seems a bit more personal than that. Um, there, there seems to be a concerted effort to just make whatever you're trying to pass on your agenda more difficult. You get challenged no matter what you're, you know, putting a motion forward for. You have a hard time getting seconds for some of your motions. And so, you know, it's concerning because we know three of those council members are still going to be on the council. And it's it gets concerning that they're making it just difficult for you to conduct the business of the department. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I don't know how you've, how you've kind of managed that and how you plan on managing that moving forward, because I, I, I think it's a very, I think it's a very unprofessional situation that you've been put in, to be honest with you. Well, you know, it's been said many times that the right considers the left to be wrong and the left considers the right to be evil. Right. And, and that's somewhat the sense that I see. In, in exactly what you're talking about in terms of the way things have been made personal. Uh, one thing that really troubled me, you'll recall after I brought the first set of charges against the BLM activists, uh, the mayor floated a resolution that didn't pass in its original form, but in its original form, that resolution, which the city attorney conceded was was in violation of not only the city code, but also state law, uh, that resolution would have made me personally liable yeah. for any damages and defense if any lawsuit were to be brought. Uh, I mean, that was clearly a, a, an action taken on a, on a personal level that was, you know, I'll, I'll say unprofessional, uh, and, and I don't know any, any milder word for it. Uh, the, the mayor knew as an attorney that it was violative of the code and the public officer's law and put it forth anyway. Uh, so, you know, that, that I think was just a step too far. And then, of course, he's on record saying that he knows he's going down, but he's going to take me down with him. Uh, right. And, and that yeah. seems to be the way things have been handled. That, that was some ugly stuff. Um, 
quick left turn. I just have to, one of the other things I've kind of observed about your time in office, and I don't know whether or not you would agree, but it seemed to me that you came into the position with a different perception of our police department and that your perception of the police department and how they operate seems to have evolved over the last you know, year and a half, two years. Do you, is that a statement you would agree with? Do you think that since you've been in the position and, and been the commissioner, you've kind of changed your opinion of, of our police department? Well, you know, it's, it's a really good question. And a lot of it is based on, on perspective. Uh, I, I know in the beginning, a lot of people who didn't know who I was just thought I was part of you know, the, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party and had that presumption going in. And I think where things changed was when I issued the report on the Daryl Mount case. That was yeah. pretty clear in that I, I spent a lot of time going over all of the steps of the process in terms of how the events unfolded in terms of what the law said the appropriateness of police conduct was. And I think that was you know, an indication of where I actually stood. Uh, I, I, so my point is that people, I believe, had a presumption that because I was running with the Democratic slate, yeah. that I was far left. Though what I will say is, uh, it, it's on the record, when I appeared before the screening committee back in early 2021, uh, I put in writing, I said, I am not progressive. I said, I'm a Kennedy Democrat. I'm old enough to have seen F uh, JFK's uh, inaugural live when I was a kid. Uh, I, I have a, a, a different perspective. And I will say that having gotten to know personally the people in our police department and the fire department, I mean, we've got a set of departments that is second to none. We really have a fantastic organization. Uh, and now with, with Tyler McIntosh as the chief, I mean, the, the morale of the department has never been better. Well, I, Let me I just interject there on the Daryl Mount report. You probably haven't been given enough credit for it. I think that was a, a, a so well done. Uh, I, I believe your first words in it were Daryl Mount was a human being. You you balanced it. You you told the facts as they were. You you it wasn't. Um, uh, I I just want to commend you on that. Thank thank you very much, Dan. I really appreciate that. You're 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 one of the. One of the few people I think who actually read the report. I mean, a lot of people had opinions okay. on it, but I don't think terribly many people actually read it. We're the people who read the reports and watch all the meetings. Like that's this group. <laughs> you, you feel We're somewhat nervous. exonerated by the court findings? Uh, I don't know if I use the word exonerated. Uh, I, I'm pleased to see that, that there were no surprises in the sense that nothing that came out at the trial was at odds with what was in the report. Because the report was based on the deposition transcripts that basically formed the basis of the trial anyway. So uh, I'm, I wasn't surprised by the outcome or surprised with, with how it unfolded. Um, before we let you go, do you have any thoughts or comments that you want to share about the city's insurance uh, problem that we've had with travelers uh, dropping the city um, as uh, uh, a client, basically? Because I know it's been really alarming for a lot of people to hear, and and we're concerned about the cost. We're <clears throat> the whole situation seems to be very troubling. You know, the the part that I really don't understand is now that it's all out there that travelers is not renewing our policy because of what's happened with risk and safety. 
I would have thought that we have a director of risk and safety. Yeah. We have a valid civil service list. There are three people who scored well on the test. I know one of those people personally, and that person has 30 years of experience in the insurance industry and would take the job tomorrow if it were offered to him. I, I don't understand why it remains unfilled when that's one of the stumbling blocks involved in our getting new insurance. Um, it was suggested by, I think, John Safford that um, travelers insurance be invited to come speak to the city council. And if they were willing, go over some of the challenges that they had with the city to possibly help inform you know, how we could have better practices moving forward. Is that something you would support or you know want to try to do? I think it's a great idea. I, I heard his suggestion. It's a it's a wise suggestion because it says let's let's sit around the table and you know tell us what mistakes we made that we can correct. Tell us what we can do better to make us more insurable. My understanding is that travelers was asked directly. Well, give us a number with which you would continue with us. And they said there is no number. They 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 just weren't pleased with the way we handled risk and safety, and and there was no turning back. But at least to have that kind of a debriefing where they could make some suggestions to say this is what you need. Uh, but we do have that from you know conversations with uh, with the brokerage firm, and I believe firmly that that getting a new director of risk and safety is a critical component on our insurability. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, we've kept you longer than we should have, but is there anything else you want to share with voters before the election that we haven't covered today um, that's you know a priority for you or meaningful, you, meaningful to you to get out to the public? Well, one of the things that I'm really pleased about that, that's an important part of, uh, of public safety is the school resource officer program. Yeah. And we were able to expand it into the elementary school. Uh, we, have, we have one... SRO who splits his time among the four elementary schools that are in the city limits. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see that increased. And that's a partnership with the school district that we have. Uh, and uh, it, it, it ought to expand. It, the, the kids enjoy it. The parents love it. Yes, we do. <laughs> the vast majority of the people I speak to are, are very supportive of the SRO program. What's sad is there's a really vocal tiny minority of people who literally scream till they're red in the face they're 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 just so emotionally opposed to it but that is not what the community as, as a whole feels and certainly not what the parents or the teachers feel well my hope is that because you were able to do that expansion and introduce it and introduce sros into elementary schools we'll actually be able to have some data and feedback to um, have discussions with people who were, you know, against expanding the SRO program, like tangible feedback from our community um, that's, you know, positive and productive and shows the positive impact that they've had um, to possibly, you know, change some minds. Um, so I know as a parent of four children, I very much appreciate the, the added security presence. And so I'm very grateful for the extra police officers. Okay, well, well thank you. Thank you everybody for, uh, for Give me a, a fair hearing here and, and, and treating the issues the way they need to be. Our pleasure. Thank you for coming on. We look forward to election night and early voting, I believe, starts this Saturday. So That's people right. 
polls and they can find you on the Democratic line, which is row A, right on the top of the ballot. And we wish you luck. And thank you so much for coming on, Commissioner. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Our pleasure. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Real quick, let me. You know what I found interesting about that? About something he said, hmm. in, in watching the city council meetings, uh, the city the commissioner of finance and I think the mayor a couple times said, you know, our insurance is going to go up eighty percent next year, eighty percent next year, without giving any reason of where that number came from or why they were saying that. And with with Commissioner Montanino saying they threw a number at travelers, I wonder if they were just pre prepping the public for that increase. Because they they were you know they were desperately trying because this this is not good for the mayor's reelection campaign to be losing our insurance and I wonder if he was just trying to throw a number at that and, and then to keep travelers it just kind of sounds like that's what happened. I mean, it sounds like it was a major hail mary. They're like you know name your price. We need to keep you. Right, and right. That's turned out. It's, it's, it's as I was saying. It's supported by what we heard in city council meetings where they kept on alluding to how you know without really saying why it was going up so much right. well i guess it was going up because they knew what i would infer is that they knew it was going to you know they knew this this shit storm was coming and you're right they threw up a, a money hail mary and then we're trying to deflect blame on you know on previous yeah. administrations but anyway we're, we're we're 30 minutes in we got three more people let's yes i know i know so okay so quick left turn and we do have so much to cover um, we have our next guest is former Commissioner of Finance, Michelle Madigan, who is running for Saratoga County Supervisor. Welcome, Commissioner Madigan. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Commissioner. So be before we start chatting, I do want to tell people that I am part of Commissioner Madigan's campaign team. And so I just want to disclose that before we start our discussion. Um, that being said, um, I would love for you to share with our viewers why you decided to take this step of putting your hat in the ring to become our next county supervisor. Well, I am uh, interested in how county politics works. I spent 10 years on the city council. I understand how we operate here in the city and how to run and manage a city of our size, a small city that, you know, operates on a grand scale often. And um, I thought it might be interesting because I do have a love for politics, maybe not lo a love for uh, campaigning so much, but a love for <laughs> politics and getting work done. And um, this is the next step, learning and understanding how the county works, um, you know, with the state and with the city and all the towns and villages. Have there been, I mean, in your 10 years sitting on the city council and watching the county supervisors in action, have there been specific issues that have jumped out, you know, over those 10 years having to do with the county that you are hoping to address if elected? Well, yes. Um, you know, I've met often with the county, especially on the issue of the Airbnbs and Verbo and making sure that the city gets its fair share of occupancy tax. Um, mm -hmm. It's a major revenue source for the city. So um, this isn't something that just started with this administration. There have been ongoing conversations um, with uh, previous members of the Saratoga County Board of Supervisors about this. It is complicated. There are some steps that we could take right now. Um, many counties actually have an agreement with uh, Airbnb um, where they do collect occupancy tax and submit it back to the county. I, I want to say 33 of them do. Um, it's very high level done, and I'd always hope that our county would move forward to do something like that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to work toward making some more progress um, on that particular issue 
you know, if I'm elected to the Saratoga County Board of Supervisors and many, many other issues. I mean, we're a city that sits in the county, so we are part of the Saratoga County Board. Um, they help govern us as well, even though we have our own independent city council. Uh, the homelessness issue is a big one that we've talked to the county about numerous times, especially when it comes to Code Blue. Well, I could ask you questions all day long, but I want to let the boys jump in and, and get a few in there. <laughs> um, let me jump in with kind of a tough question. Um, if you're elected, Su Su Supervisor Madigan will be one of the fewer Democrats on the County Board of Supervisors. Uh, some of them have been there a long time. How how can you be, how will you be effective in a first term where you've got those uh, uh, challenges uh, with, with party being one, one of them? Well, I will be in a minority. We're in a minority right now. There's two Democrats on the Board of Supervisors, two 21 Republicans. Uh, but having spent 10 years on the city council, I know a lot of them. I'm already pretty much colleagues with them. And I think it's going to be key to form working relationships. I'm not going to always agree with everything, but there's a lot I think we can agree on. And the first thing I need to do is understand some of their concerns. They have concerns about closing the bars before four o'clock. They have concerns. I don't even know if they have necessarily concerns about the homelessness issue. Uh, the big issue here is that the city hasn't registered with the state to operate a homeless facility. So that's money that's not coming through the county to the city. Uh, so there, there are things I can start to address, start to meet, understand the issues that the current board and the newly elected people coming in on the board. Um, I need to understand them, build relationships and help them understand some of these city issues. And I feel pretty have someone they can work with, someone they respect. We're going to get a lot accomplished going forward. They have not had that in over a decade. Thank you. And you are on, I know, again, um, the one Saratoga line on the ballot, which is, uh, uh, I believe uh, Matt Feach is also on that line, as yeah. is a uh, Chris Matisson and Tim Cole, but it's a bipartisan line uh, where people can yep. go vote um, for kind of a fusion, a fusion line of Democrats and Republicans, which is uh, refreshing. Yes, a lot of people like that city before party. And I think we need more of that. Um, the city is not getting its fair share right now from the county. And that is mostly because the relationship between the county and city um, has deteriorated. And we need both supervisors at the city level working well with the county board of supervisors, not just one. We always have one Democrat that goes down there and acts as a foil. Um, so the most we can hope to achieve is getting, you know, uh, negative comments toward the county board of supervisors and the press, which is what we've seen consistently over and over again. You know, uh, the strong no vote. I'm sure there are going to be times that I vote no, and I just don't agree. But the goal is to form the right relationships and, try to make sure the city is being well represented by two supervisors who are working well within the form of government that exists there and the committee form of government that work, that exists there. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I have noticed um, one of your opponents, Gordon Boyd, has brought up changing the county form of government. And that was brought up like repeatedly during the League of Women Voters Forum. And it was something that I ha have not heard of before. Um, is that something that is a concern for you um, or will be a priority for you? Um, I think it's just a non-starter. It's, it's not that it's a priority or not a priority. Uh, you can't go down there singularly and think, um, you know, you're going to be able to change that form of government. So the best we can do is work within the form of government that exists. Having one outlier wanting to change the form of government uh, 
is frankly right now a waste of time. We have real city issues. We need the county involved uh, and we need to work with the relationships that are there right now. Um, you know, the League of Women Voters Forum was interesting. Um, I heard both Matt and I say this is about relationship building and um, mostly what came across from, from for me from Gordon was I'm running for county supervisor. I don't like the county and I don't like the county form of government. And, um, you know, I just don't know how he's really going to achieve anything with that sort of attitude. Commissioner, let me let me uh, um, kind of switch gears a little bit. You uh, at the last public comment uh, got up and were pretty um, uh, pretty div divisive on your on your thoughts about our taxes being increased twice. And one thing you talked about is the uh, the fund balance of the city. Mm -hmm. Can you quickly explain the what the fund balance is and then why you were so critical of the current commissioner of finance uh, as for her for her fund balance? Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so fund balance is calculated at the end of the year when all the fiscal documents are in. It's, it's basically the year end report. It comes out a few months into the uh, like right now uh, we will see it'll be like next April when you'll know what the fund balance is for 2023. So last April, we uh, the report was filed and we have a 29.8 percent fund balance, which is why I say 30 percent. Um, those are unrestricted funds. That 30% is equivalent to the 30% of the ensuing year's budget. So that equates to about $17 million of unrestricted funds. The city has an internal policy, um, a fund balance policy that says you should never have more than, never have less than 10% and never have more than 25%. And even 25% is considered extremely high, extremely high even by the comptroller. So to sit at 30%, is, well, it's just kind of unheard of. And it leads to, and this is where it gets a little wonky, about an actual surplus of $5.4 million. So the commissioner of finance is actually required to spend down that $5.4 million, according to internal policies that I always worked under for my 10 years and previous finance commissioners have always worked under during their tenures. And then on top of that, even if you spent down the 5.4 million, you're still sitting on an extremely high fund balance. The, the highest fund balance I ever sat on, and remember these are just the unrestricted funds, was about 19%. And I always felt very comfortable bringing it down to 15, even 14%, you were still in the right range. The comptroller would actually consider this sort of hoarding because this is the second year in a row that we have seen this much fund balance. So second year in a row of raising taxes, sitting on a lot of what I would call taxpayer funds and kind of a doom and gloom budget, budget. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. And a blaming on the current administration for not raising taxes or, be do, or ever doing a reassessment. It's just stand on your own. Nobody likes the blame game. You want to raise taxes because for whatever reason, you don't think you're sitting on enough taxpayer money. Well, then I guess raise them. But I personally see no reason for this raise in taxes. Just none. Oh, and then there's the restricted funds, which I believe are about 11.5% of you know the ensuing operating year's um, budget. And those funds are restricted typically in the form of reserves or assignments, which I often use to help the budget. So it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you're looking at what, 40, you know, 17, 20, 27, 28 million dollars, and you gotta raise taxes two years in a row. It doesn't make any sense to me and play the blame game. Yeah, I know that's been, 
you and I were on the city council for two years, and it, it is very challenging to listen to the current administration continually place blame on the previous administration for any variety of problems they may be experiencing. Yeah. Um, and while simultaneously, you know, I don't mean to get off track here, but I, you know, they will take credit for projects that I know, for example, you've worked on or, you know, presented as shovel ready and, you know, they cut ribbons on and, and take credit for it. It's, it goes both ways and it, it's got to be tough. They have a very difficult time showing gratitude toward the previous administration of any form. Of any form. Right. right now with the NYPA streetlight project that I worked diligently on for, it seemed like years, with Tina Carton. And it was shovel ready. And today they're congratulating everybody but the previous administration. Um, and, you know, that just seems to be par for the course. And I don't like to be a negative Nelly, but, uh, you know, the third fire station was shovel ready. So many things have been shovel ready and they just seem to not be able to put forth any level of gratitude toward the work that was done prior to them uh, taking office in January of 2022. That is politics in its worst form, I suppose. Um, well, and maybe, but you know, I'm running for office, so I can't just sit back and oh, let yeah. them take credit for things that, you know, I'm running for office on my record of getting work done and getting projects done, more projects than I ever needed to take on as commissioner of finance. So sometimes I do push back a bit because hey, I'm, I, it's I'm not running for I'm not running for office and I, <laughs> and I push back a bit. So you yeah. absolutely, yeah. you know, yeah. credit where credit is due. Yes, I agree. I, I would do it. I would do it. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with voters um, that, you know, they think they should know about you, your your priorities, your motivations, your commitment to doing this um, before people start being able to vote this this Saturday in early voting? Well, you can vote for two supervisors. Um, there are three of us running and I would love to again. I always humbly ask the voters for their vote. Uh, I think I'm the right person to send down to the County Board of Supervisors, form those relationships, get these projects done, bring home the money to Saratoga Springs. And that's what we need right now. We really need a better relationship with the county. For so many reasons, we have a bad relationship. It's not just our county supervisors. There were the issues that took place with public safety this year and the DA that have led to a bad relationship. There are just so many reasons. And right now, I mean, we have no leg to stand on. We are in the minority, you know, having always sending one. There's only one Republican running and there's two Democrats and there's only one Democrat running that's willing to form the relationships that we need to form to make sure we get our fair share. And that's me still looking out for the taxpayers. And that's why I'm doing this. So is it safe to say that your hope is to be working with Matt Feach? Um, you would like to be elected with him and and that be your team? Well, of course. I mean, I'm actually running with him on the one Saratoga line. Now, whether he wants to come right out and say something like that or not, I don't know. But we are on the same line endorsed together. Uh, Matt has a record down there. He's been there 16 years. He has the relationships. Uh, but Matt has been going down there for 16 years with a Democrat who typically plays foil uh, to his support of the Board of Supervisors. Let's see what we can do with two supervisors down there representing the city who are really working in the best interest of the city itself. Well, cheers to that. I, I love that. So th thank you so much for joining us. And Dan and Adam, unless you have anything else to add, I will let um, Commissioner Madigan go. And But thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. And I apologize about my background here, but I'm in the middle of the move, so there's nothing on my walls yet.
Oh gosh, no, <laughs> we, we have no background judgment at all. Okay? Well, it contrasts your pink for October uh, awareness shirt well. So, oh, thank you for mentioning that because you know I wore pink for the League of Women Voters debate, and I will have a mailer dropping soon. The pink is all in support of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and um, hope you like my new mailer. It'll be pink and blue in support of breast cancer. I think that's an important issue that we all can take stock in for this month. Thank you. No, we'll look out for it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Commissioner. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we are just whipping through candidates, but we've, I love it, guys. We've never been this efficient. Oh, we've never been this efficient. And it's not, this, it's not jinx it. I know it's not jinx it. So joining us now, I have Supervisor Veach. Supervisor Veach, welcome. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the Saratoga podcast. I think this is your, <laughs> your first appearance. This is my inaugural inaugural repeat appearance, however you say that. Well, <laughs> we'll try not to feel too hard on you. We'll try not to <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Thanks. So we, we've been kicking off all of our conversations with candidates by just asking a very simple question, which is what your motivation is for running, in your case, um, for re-election for uh, to be our county supervisor. Sure. So um, I've been the uh, Saratoga County Supervisor elected in Saratoga Springs for the past 16 years. Uh, started my terms way back in the election of 2007. It feels like it was, well, feels like forever ago in some cases, but just yesterday in some other cases. Um, but, uh, you know, I am uh, have been working at the county representing the city of Saratoga Springs for all those years, uh, doing lots of different projects to help the city. Uh, especially the last two years, there's been a lot that we've done uh, with some county funding that came to the city from the board for uh, especially this year. Uh, and, you know, basically trying to just serve the residents and do what I can to represent them down there. Um, there's always a lot to be done and there's always a lot to do. And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, I feel like I have a, a commitment and hopefully I've shown a commitment to the, to the city at the county board. Uh, and I just want to continue to do that. I just want to continue to represent our, our people down there uh, and try to provide and get results for our citizens uh, however I can. Uh, you know, as well as work with other elected officials from the city to 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 you know, um, accomplish the city's goals down at the county. Um, I'd love to ask a quick follow-up question. I don't know if you were listening to, or if you are able to hear our interview with um, Michelle Madigan, but um, one of the things she brought up and I was asking about was uh, the form of government that the county has. And it was an issue that was raised at the League of Women Voters Forum. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious if you had a concern about the form of government at the county level, if that was an issue for you. Yeah, so th th that's a great question. It was a good question, actually, in the forum as well. So um, interestingly enough, there's a little history to this, and I, and I think it sometimes that gets lost in the discussion about form of government. Uh, way back in the late 1970s, the Saratoga County Board did a, did a study on whether or not we should change our form of government, and, and the Board of Supervisors actually recommended a change uh, to the form of government to a, what they call a Board of Legislators. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a little bit different than what we have today. Um, but any kind of form of government change, as we all know, in the city of Saratoga Springs requires a referendum, right? It goes to the voters to be approved. And actually, the uh, referendum was defeated by the county voters back in oh. 1979. So the, the reason, I think, why the county doesn't really take a lot of action in changing our form of government is that our citizens told us they didn't want to change in the form of government way back when, right? Um, we can always bring that discussion back up at the county, but I don't see any supervisor... Uh, including myself, <laughs> who sees that as a priority at the county right now, right? We have lots of different things that we're dealing with, lots of different issues that we have to tackle. 
And um, those are all taking a higher priority than looking at our form of government and determining the change. Uh, I think things work pretty well down at the county. I mean, we're, we're just <laughs> announcing a 8% tax decrease in your bill for next year for your county taxes. And, Thank you. you know, that comes from our, our government. We, we are working well together. We're getting things done for our towns and our cities. Uh, and at the end of the day, I don't see really a big need for change at this time at Saratoga County Board of Supervisors. If, if you are elected back to your position, uh, what what project in the pipeline do you think is going to have the biggest that, that you see coming or that you're working on is going to have the biggest benefit to uh, the citizens of Saratoga, the city? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of times the projects you work on are at the county level. Uh, and so it's, it's harder to kind of make that direct connection to the city. Uh, one thing I'll say that uh, is a past uh, thing that we accomplished, and uh, again, I will I will thank uh, Commissioner Dalton when she was the public safety commissioner, uh, was uh, getting some funding for the third fire station. Yeah. Um, you know, we we uh, we are the county hazmat team in, in Saratoga Springs. Our firefighters actually run the county hazmat program. It's all funded by the county, right? And um, we decided when we were working on the station that you know if we could convince the county to house that hazmat team at the third station that the county would pay for some part of the building to house the truck uh and essentially uh asked commissioner dalton if it was okay to go down and ask for some funding we got three hundred thousand dollars for that and uh, we brought it back to saratoga springs and so really that would be probably the biggest thing that we've done that impact our citizens directly uh, at least over the past couple of years um going forward it's a little more difficult i think we have some challenges in terms of uh, you know, the homeless issue, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of kind of non-communication or miscommunication between the city yeah. and the county on this. And, you know, hopefully if we can work a little bit better in talking with each other, um, that will be really a bigger impact to our citizens over 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 time uh, if we can get that done. So, you know, again, I would say it's 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 something we have to work on. It's not necessarily an accomplishment at this point. Just really quickly, I have to touch on the uh, third fire station. Um, that you brought up. I I just appreciated what you did so much because it wasn't something that I knew about or a resource that I was aware of. And Supervisor Beach came to me, told me about it, said he would go advocate for it and just made it extraordinarily easy. And I mean, on my end, it was just, it was, it was such a pleasure and you made it so easy. And it was, it was, it has such a big impact. And, um, it, it was just, it was a pleasure doing business, I guess. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and again, I think that's really what we need to look for when it comes to the city and the county, right? How do we find things that are, you know, when you say that something's a county responsibility um, directly, which the hazmat team is, the county supervisors will respond to that, right? They know that they have to do something in regard to that. When, when you talk about homelessness, right, this has been one of our challenging issues they know that code blue is their responsibility, right? That's a county program that's funded by the state. And so you can work through and within that structure. But when you you try to open, and again, I think this was great that they did this when they opened the the, the Adelphi Street location this summer, um, that's not a county responsibility, right? That's a, the city did that on their own. They didn't go through that process, that state process to get the uh, county funding to come through it through our DSS. And, and they didn't really talk to us much about announcing or even doing it, right? And so at the end of the day, the county isn't responsible to fund that that shelter directly, right? And, and I know people will say it's a county responsibility for homelessness, and I, I get that. But at the end of the day, you know, we have to be convinced in that in that regard. The, or should I say the county supervisors need to be convinced that 
it's worth our money to put into that program. Right. And, and I think collaboration and communication is the way to go on that. You do you to- think, do you think if you, if you had gotten more collaboration from the city and the, uh, the council that there could have been County funds, I mean, was there an Avenue to get some of that subsidized by the County? I, I think there was, it, it was really getting them to understand that state process. Right. And, and again, it, it is passed through. I mean, let's, let's be clear, right. It's not County direct funding from the County taxpayers. It's, you have to apply to the state to to establish so the, a homeless shelter. The county is a conduit state, for the money to flow. Exactly. So then the DSS department is the conduit where they get the approval, they sign off on all the safety and protocols or whatever, and then state starts paying you either per per resident or per day to keep that shelter open, right? So you're getting some you're getting some money back for the money you're putting in essentially at right. the end of the day. It was very evident to me as a just a member of the public, though, watching the city council in action. Um, I recall the mayor saying that he was encouraging the public, members of the public, to call the county board of supervisors and advocate for money and kind of lobby them um, <laughs> yes. as residents. And and it was quite clear that there hadn't been any meaningful communication um, between himself and you know the supervisors, and which was really disappointing to hear. Yeah. Um, You've obviously been there for a long time and have relationships, you know, with the supervisors, given your length of time in office. Um, are have you one of the things that came up with Commissioner Madigan was that she felt that you've been a bit hamstrung with the people you've been elected with mm-hmm. um, and their approach towards the County Board of Supervisors has hamstrung your ability to get things done a bit. Is Do you think that's an accurate statement or? that's a good, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I have a great working relationship with my colleagues, both, both Republicans and Democrats. Right. And, and, and at the end of the day, I would say yes to some extent, but it more, more big P politics than small P politics. Right. It's, it's that the city has a democratically elected city council. Right. And, and the County is a Republican board of supervisors. Right. So, so just by that nature of politics, it's hard for communication to flow. Right. I, I do my best to try to be a liaison between the two sides as best as I can. But there's already an initial lack of trust there. And at the end of the day, the only way to build on that trust is through that good communication. So, you know, I know Commissioner Magan in our debate had talked about that a lot. And, and I agree with her on that. You know, I think there has to be that free flow of communication. Somehow we have to be able to sit down at the table, you know, have a cup of coffee or whatever it takes to 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 get that going so that we get uh, everybody benefits from from those results from those conversations to, to, to follow up on that and i know you have to you, you got a deadline coming we got to let you go in a minute oh, but man, it's already that late <laughs> with the uh um the supervisor does not sit on the city council but you do go to the meetings correct you you uh re, you you give a report is there anything if this toxicity and dysfunction <laughs> continues is there anything supervisors can do not in a hard hammer sort of way <laughs> but in a uh, excuse me, but in a, a statesman-like sort of way, to try to help them uh, uh, get along. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, I've seen lots of different city councils over my period, and I think every single one of them, frankly, has had um, issues sometimes with communication, right? And not all the time. And some councils work really well, and some councils really don't. Um, I think we're in a stage right now where there's a very, very bad lack of communication among commissioners. Mm. Uh, I'm saying that very diplomatically (laughs) Um, and and, and that they don't really talk with each other. 
right? It, it, a lot of discussion happens at the table, which is really the least ideal place for those things to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard for the supervisor, in my opinion, to insert ourselves into those conversations, right? We don't have a vote at the table. We work for the county. We're a county, we're a county legislator, right? And so at the end of the day, while we represent the city of Saratoga Springs, we are not really of that government, right? I believe in staying in my lane <laughs> uh, as, as a supervisor and trying to not get myself tied up into the, uh, you know, kind of acrimonious, you know, discussion that can happen in the city. And that's, that's just my philosophy. Other people may have a different opinion on that. And that's totally fine if they want to get involved in that. But for me, I, I just try not to get too engaged in that. But what I will say just very quickly is that individual commissioners I'm willing to work with on issues that help the city. Um, Commissioner Moran and I worked on outdoor dining. Uh, Commissioner Golub and I are working on some welcome signage for the city. Um, you know, Commissioner Golub and I also worked on fixing the Geyser Road Bridge, which was uh, destroyed or not really in good shape when they did the Geyser Road Trail. It was something they forgot in the project, strangely. Um, so so when when I have that ability to, to work inside the tent with somebody, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that and try to bring something positive out of that at the end of the day. Um, real quick, because I know you, sorry, can I? Do you guys mind if I ask one more quick question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, first of all, I give you credit for sitting on the sidelines during those council meetings and because you really can't insert yourself. There's no opportunity, and I give you credit <laughs> for um, But quick left turn. Uh, bar closing times, I know, have nice. been an issue repeatedly. And I, th- I thought I had heard you kind of evolve your opinion a little bit yep. on whether or not bars should be closed earlier. Yep. Um, could, could you share with us where you're at on that issue? Absolutely. So um, I um, originally was very much against changing the bar closing times uh, to anything earlier than four o'clock. Um, you know, I, I still believe that I don't think it really solves our problems. It just, it, you're still going to have issues whether the bar is closed at two or whether the bar is closed at four, right? But but again, as a representative, somebody from the city of Saratoga Springs, I, I do know that the public generally wants to close bars earlier, right? Um and really, maybe for the quality of life of our community, it, it, it's a good idea to do that. Um, I, I don't know what the final solution is for that, right? Um, my thought has been kind of a hybrid, you know, where you have like a 2 a.m. in the wintertime when things are pretty slow. You maybe open a little later in the summer when things are busier. You know, you want to accommodate the bar owners and the business owners to try to make that profit that they want to make. Um and not necessarily 4 a.m. in the summer either. It might be three, right? We do need to kind of close down a little earlier. So so my thought is that when um, we go back to the county, which I hope I do <laughs> next January, um, this is on the agenda for something that myself and, you know, whoever is elected as the other supervisor will work on with the county. You know, I've looked at other, other counties and how they handle their bar closing times, you know, which is something I didn't do before, right? Um, a lot of counties have kind of flexible bar closing times depending on the day. So if the liquor authority is open to that, then let's go down and let's go down and do that for for the county and 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 maybe convince our colleagues that this is the idea and how we do it countywide uh, because that's really the impact at the end of the day. Uh, they have a say in what happens at bar closing times, and we have to work with them on that. We can't just say, you know, two a.m. or bust county. They're going to just say no. We don't we don't appreciate that kind of dialogue. So. Well, Real quick, before before we let you go, uh, you, if, if if elected, you're going to be going to the county with uh, a second supervisor. There are two other. Uh, there's a, a Commissioner Madigan and Gordon Boyd are running for those positions. Is there somebody who you would like to see as your teammate representing Saratoga on the county level? 
Yeah. So, uh, good, good question. And I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I get asked this question a lot and, and I, and I've said this every single time I've run, right. I, I don't take a preference because I think I need to be able to work with that person. Right. I don't, whether it's Gordon or Michelle, they're both very good candidates, very quality candidates. Right. And I think mm-hmm. I would have a great work, working relationship with both of them. So I will say that answer, but what I'll also say is <laughs> that, um, Michelle and I both are on the one Saratoga line. Um, so we are running together on that line. And so so when you vote for supervisor, you do get to vote for two. Uh, and if you're going to vote one Saratoga, you can vote for me and Michelle. Right. Um, Gordon does not is not on that line. He's on the Democratic line and the working families line. So um, so I would say that. <laughs> that was a, brilliant, by yeah, the way. Walking that tightrope. Oh, my God. And, and, and I also and I am also running on the Republican line. So don't forget that. <laughs> uh, there is no second candidate on that line. So at the end of the day, um, you know, again, I think that is how I would answer that question, Adam. Uh, and I appreciate I appreciate the question. You're a good politician, sir, and there's a reason you've been in office as long as you have. So, <laughs> applause, applause for that. I know you have a hard out at one o'clock, and it is yes. actually one o'clock on the nose, so we will let you go. Yes, it's um, our vice president at Verizon who's speaking to the employees, so I have to oh, go. Yes. Okay, go, go. <laughs> Thank go. you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks our pleasure. All right, guys, we're running a little bit behind, um, but I know we have Gordon Boyd has been in and out. Um, I'm waiting for him to come back on because I know that you guys are going to talk to him next. I'm going to bow out and let you have that conversation with him. Um, I'm just waiting for him to come back onto our little dashboard here. Yeah. Real, real quick. I'll talk uh, uh, supervisor Veach as a Republican has managed to not be the target of a lot of the, the progressive left's attacks uh, in this city. And you kind of see why, I mean, I, I, I like the guy a lot. I thought he interviewed very well. He's kind of like, like a, a piece of buttered toast, right? You know, it's he's just just warm and, and comfortable, and, and it's hard. To, you know, it's 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 hard to not like him, and and it's hard to get, you know say anything bad about him. He just seems like a good guy. Extremely knowledgeable, and he reaches across the aisle. Like he said it, he touted himself. He, he I, I, he's worked with Commissioner Gold. He's worked worked with Commissioner Moran. Um, he'll work with anybody for the betterment of the city. I'm, you know, I, I, I we, we, we tell, we um, disclose our biases here. I'm, I'm, I'm supporting him. I'm voting for him. Um, he, you know, he, he, by the way, he, he, he's advertising on my Saratoga report. I should disclose that, but that's not, you know, that's you've not even relevant. Disclose, Dan, fess up. What's that? I said you've got tons to disclose. Apparently, fess up, <laughs> sir. Um. So uh, one quick thing, um, Commissioner Madigan commented saying she also likes the hybrid idea for the bar closing time. So um, that's that's an interesting thing that they're in sync on. Um, so while we wait for Gordon, who hopefully will pop back in here, um, I did want to mention one thing, which is that we did ask all the public safety candidates and all the supervisor candidates and all the mayoral candidates to join us on the podcast. And unfortunately, um, Kristen Dart declined our invitation and specifically, I just want to read a little bit of her response and, and discuss why, because I think it's important because, well, for a couple of reasons. Um, she wrote to us, Kristen Dart has declined the invitation to be interviewed on the Saratoga podcast, as the podcast does not adhere to the ethics and standards of journalism that are necessary for true, accurate, and objective reporting regarding political discourse in our community. And then she goes on to mention that all three of us have actually donated to Tim Cole, who's running for public safety. And I just would like to point out that it's probably not a great look 
that we actually, I, I donated a whopping $25 to Tim Cole. Um, and you know, is that up to journalistic standards that, you know, the Associated Press and major news outlets, you know, adhere to? No. But in the 64 episodes that we've done here at the Saratoga podcast, we've never had anyone walk away from an interview feeling as if they got anything other than a fair shake. Uh, we're not here to do gotcha interviews, to trip people up, to make them feel uncomfortable. We're here to truly inform. And I've always thought that we have done our very best to give our personal biases out of interviews and let people speak for themselves. Um, and so I'm, I'm disappointed that she's not joining us. I think when you're running for this kind of hyper local office, it's incumbent on candidates to take every opportunity they can to publicize their position and why they're running. And this is a great platform to do that on. And so I'm, I'm disappointed that she, she chose to, uh, to not join us. And I just wanted to let our viewers know so they understood why we didn't have all three candidates on. I well well stated, Robin. Uh, the way I view it is consistent with yours, but maybe a slightly different take. In that we're, we're three people that love Saratoga Springs. Uh, we wear our passion on our sleeves. Um, this is like you said. This is not the McNeil Air News Hour. Uh, it's three people that love Saratoga. We have our biases. We have our beliefs. We have our paradigms, and we disclose them. That's who we are. Uh, we love Saratoga Springs, and we're going to let our opinions out. We're not really a news organization. I, I, you know, we try to give news, but it's with our take on it. Uh, but we're, news and opinion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. News and commentary. Yeah, exactly. So, And, and that's what I was kind of hoping, and I hope uh, uh, Gordon Boyd hops back on because somebody I've had, had, had um, disagreements with in the past, but but I'm interested to hear, you know, he had an idea of, of um, you know, really pursuing the drunks with guns and 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 you know, putting in more teeth into laws that prohibit people from carrying firearms and being drunk. Uh, and I, I'm really interested to hear because you know my take on that was that the, the the state and federal level have laws on this, but I don't know that that's true. You know, I no. might have misspoken on that. So I'd, I'd be really interested for him to come on and you know share these kind of ideas of, that he has. Uh, because he does have ideas. Something you, can, you can't take away from, from Gordon Boyd is that he has ideas. He's out there a on lot a lot of outside things. Of the box ideas. What's that? A lot of outside of the box ideas. A lot of outside of the box ideas, exactly. Which, which again, uh, is, is even though our politics may differ, this is this show is not for us to, you know, hammer him on his, on, you know, try to get you a gotcha one. But, but for our viewers and for the citizens of Saratoga to hear some of these ideas, uh, um, and, and, you know, you know, or another one was getting more, and I think this is a great idea. I'd love to have you here. Sorry, really quick. I'm just interrupting you. Dan, do you want to send Gordon a quick text? I don't have his cell number and just let him know that. Is, is he not on at all? Is he off screen or is the screen not even there? He was, he was on waiting and then he hopped off. So he's, he's not on right now. Okay. Yeah. See, we don't, we don't have a producer. We don't. We, I, I, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we don't. We don't have the uh, news integrity. No, I'm just kidding. Or, no. or he has. And, and I, I really like this idea of his about how um, Saratoga is un underrepresented on the county level. Right. Uh, makes sense. I would love to hear him expand on that. So uh, these are these are the kind of yeah. questions that we're about here. You know, really quick, Adam. Getting back to the donation thing, I don't mean to loop back to that, but yeah, it, it does occur to me that, I mean, we get hit up for donations in Saratoga Springs, as you know, for everything under the sun. 
So if now I can turn down those requests and cite journalism, the journalistic integrity as my excuse, that's kind of a great out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the next it's, time I get asked for a donation, I'm going to yeah. be like, I'm sorry, I can't donate. As journalism, um, there's, there's a comment that I found interesting. Uh, are you able to bring it up? Uh, yes. Hanky? Yes. Ooh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, true story. I, I think, uh, it's hard to argue that, uh, Wendy Libertor at the times union is, uh, an unbiased reporter. Um, she, I mean, I think it's very hard to make that argument. So touche. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I've, I've let my, my uh, opinion be known on, on her and what I think she does and, and what I think about her integrity as a, as a journalist and as a person to, um, to essentially write articles that are always extremely uh, one-sided. She works with she works with political consultants uh, and, and people who are working on campaigns. She will work behind the scenes with them. Uh, and when we know this, because we hear we hear about stories that she's going to write before they're written, because they're coming from the other side. You know, they're coming from essentially the the, the progressive uh, uh, wing of the Democrats, and and it she just carries their water and she passes it off as journalism. And then you have these these like I said, and I I got to say real quick, and then you know what? Maybe we'll have to jump off if, if we can't get Gordon Boyd on. But my father gave me a little pushback about the last show. Because I said the, the 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 local Democrats are having their own MAGA problem, and what I mean by that is I don't mean all Democrats are like MAGA. I mean just the, you know there's there's a crazy sect now that are that that they're so indoctrinated with their ideologies, ideologues and their ideologies that they just don't see reality. But Dan, any luck? Uh, yes, I did just speak to him. There was a, apparently a misunderstanding between him and I. I I told him. That Robin, you wouldn't be part of yeah dropping of his, off of his interview. He he won't come on um, because you're part of the other interviews. And in fairness to him, I I don't recall what I wrote to him. I knew in my mind what I meant that you wouldn't be part of his. I certainly wouldn't promise that you wouldn't be part of the program. You're part of it. Um, so I, I don't know if it was a you know if if the misunderstanding is of me poor writing or his his uh, 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 poor interpretation. I simply don't know. But he's not coming on. He so, said he he would come on maybe at a separate time, um, and if we we'll figure. Or that I out. haven't been in the show at all. I uh, apparently he was pretty adamant about that, and I I knew what I meant when I told him like Robin won't be part of your interview. In fairness, I may not have explicitly stated that. I mean, I thought that but was still, actually... he he cannot dictate to us who's on the other parts of the show or not. We're we're, we're trying to do a solid was... by you getting off. For that, if he would have insisted on, you know, even if he said no, I, I want Robin off the whole show, I would have said, "Geez, pound salt, sorry, I, uh, you know, th this is what it is." Also, just so people know that that was my offer when we reached out to him. I said, I told Dan, please let him know that I am happy to withdraw myself from the interview um, because I am part of the Michelle Madigan's campaign team, and there is uh, a competitive spirit happening between those two campaigns, and so I didn't want him to feel that he was being set up for you know, an unfair interview. So I was like, I'm happy to let you two do the interview and I will step aside. I thought that was the ethical thing to do and the polite thing to do. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry that that wasn't enough uh, to make him feel comfortable coming on today. It's an overstep on his part to say you shouldn't be, you know, telling us this is our show, it, it, you know, for, for, for good or bad, this is our show um, for him to say, you shouldn't be part of the other ones. Um, uh, I guess it goes back to uh, what we talked about earlier. 
Well, re re regardless, like I said, I, I, I'd still love to, you know, we, we're doing another show before election. Uh, it could be, you know, you know, just for the interview, again, Robin's not going to be on for the whole show, but Dan and I would be more than happy to, to do the, the interview and, and really not, you know, I kind of framed the questions I had about him. The questions I would have would be, you know, how is he going to get more power on the county level for Saratoga? And how is drunks with guns not doubling up on what we already have? So, you know, those would be my questions for him. And if he wants to come on and answer them, I hope so. And he can come on maybe at the beginning of the show. I won't be on at all. I can come on afterwards, whatever makes him comfortable. Cause I do think it's important um, that he, you know, get his uh, positions out there and talk to the public about his candidacy. When, when, when can we do this? And we don't even know his schedule, but um, can, can we do this tomorrow at one or at noon? Yes, definitely. I can do tomorrow at noon. If he can do tomorrow at noon, we can talk offline and, and get something scheduled for sure. Let's talk, let's talk about that. Yeah, anyway, no. all right. Well, we've got an hour and twelve minutes. Yes. Should we wrap up, boys? Yes. Yeah, let's wrap up. Um, do you have any quick cheers and jeers you want to share? I don't. No. I, I, I didn't plan on it. I just, you know, I knew we were focusing on this. Okay, yeah. I'm doing a quickie then. I am just going to cheer King Tut, who was our incredible police horse, part of our mounted division, who passed away and is such a loss and. Did such an amazing job for our police department, helping to patrol our streets. Our mounted division is such a vital part of how we police in Saratoga Springs. And King, King Tut was such a huge part of that from the daytime where people took pictures with him. And I mean, I can't tell you how many kids and families have posed next to King Tut to, you know, being out Saturday at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Um, with Officer Barrett riding him and, you know, doing crowd control and all the incredible things that our police horses do. So um, King Tut leaves quite the legacy. And I was really, really sorry to wake up to the news that he had passed away. So thank you, King Tut. Well stated. Stay charming, Saratoga. All right. I'll see you guys tomorrow or not. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. You're welcome.